Share with the class. Is it supposed to take place in the future? I want you to ride me like a stallion, baby. PR's my specialty! Dream warriors! Beef carcasses, huh? It's amazing. It is uncool. They're fucking gacked up to 11. If no way! No way! That's my sister! Buckets of sweat. Basically, everybody dies. Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, the Wolverine, along with my faithful companions, Yar Higo, hey. and C-Lab Forever. What is up? Welcome to the podcast, folks. This week, we are somewhat going back to our roots and talking about a cult classic film from 1990. It is a sequel, and that film is Predator 2. So strap in and let's get ready to go for a ride. So 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, dudes. What the fuck? WTF. Totally. I love this movie. I love this movie so much. I I loved it and, and my alter ego was like, this is just absurd. Totally. You're never, ever, ever going to touch the original, so don't even try and like take it for what it is and... Exactly. This hit me this hit me when I was like probably twelve years old, and this is like the perfect twelve year old movie. Just absolutely over the top action, which was you know, like kind of the trend from like eighty five through some of the nineties. And this one does not disappoint. I don't know if I'd ever seen it all the way through before this. Really? Yeah. I love it. I know I've seen the end of it. I remember seeing Danny Glover come out of the spaceship, but you know, I don't I don't really remember I didn't really remember anything else in it. And I don't know if I was just, when I was younger, I was just like, oh, fuck this. It's not Arnold, you know? Yeah. I thought it was like an Arnold movie, and I was pissed off that Arnold wasn't in it. Or, you know, I don't know. By 1990, I might have just been kind of like not not paying attention to those kinds of movies as much. It's possible. It's also possible that the absence of Arnold, Ben, was too much. Because I know, I think, I'm pretty sure back in the day when this came out, and I was like, no, Arnold, come on. I mean, I love Danny Glover just fine, but I definitely, I've seen it before, but only a few times, and I have definitely not seen it in many, many, many years, so it's nice to revisit. Yeah, I couldn't have been more wrong, though. It's excellent. I loved it. Good. I'm glad. I'm really glad that you got you dug it. If, that was, if, I, was, if I was being a petulant, uh, you know, <laughs> Kyle Ren about it when I was uh, in 1990, <laughs> I was definitely wrong. <laughs> That's definitely it, dude. I think we both were because there was no Arnold in it. Yeah. New Arnold? What the fuck? It makes total sense, though, that most people would be like, eh, skip it because it's not an Arnold movie and it's not in the jungle. But I think for me, I was so young that uh, I just, like, treated it as a standalone separate movie. And, you know, obviously my 12-year-old brain was not overly developed at the time. So I was like, hmm, swords and... Fucking discs that cut beef carcasses. Huh? Frisbees that cut stuff. Damn, that frisbee nearly cut me in twain. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> that's what... Hey, everybody, I'm back. It's me, Gary Busey. Hey, gang. Aw, <laughs> oh, damn, that frisbee plum cut me in twain. I don't know if you have it, but I love that voice. <laughs> don't stop doing it. It's like Gary Busey and Sam Elliott's uh, foster son. There you go. 
That voice needs a mustache to go with it. Okay, so where do we want to fly to first? I watched the trailer to this, and it was like the perfect trailer where he had that exact movie trailer dude do the trailer voice. And the tagline was, he's in town with a few days to kill. And it was just like, oh my god. Oh my god. And I just loved it. I love, I, I miss, you gotta love that. I miss old trailers, man. They just, they literally don't make movies or trailers like they used to. And this is just, this is just the, the bomb. Or movie posters either. Like it yeah. used to be like the posters, the trailers, you know, the movies themselves. It's a rated R action film, which we haven't, you know, we haven't really had many of in a long time. Really, everyone was trying to go for the PG thirteen bullshit for so long. Well, they, I, I feel very much that this movie, and I guess this is sort of the segue into the quote high level, <laughs> but I feel like this film was really trying really hard or too hard to be like, all right, we're gonna over the top the violence to to really get some attention here. You know what I mean? And they succeeded. This film had a NC-17 rating, and they had to chop it a little bit to get it down to an R. Yeah, I, I hear you on the over-the-topness, but I didn't know it at the time until looking into it in the last few days, but the dude that directed it directed, like, uh, Friday the 13th 5 or whatever. So it kind of has that horror-y gore feel to it, in a way. Hang on, Chad. Let's let's get that right for all the fans out there. It was Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Dream Child. Because, <laughs> you know, that's when that Is it the one that Dokken did a song for? Well, the dream warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up on all those after, like, the second or third, man. They just kept going. Oh, my God. They were bad. I know. After the third one, I was like, enough. Yeah. I have two, two very, I don't know, two different, different opinions of this movie, like in a share with the class. Well, they're like in a, like a quantum worlds kind of way. On the one hand, the movie is just ridiculous. It's like the opening scene is so ridiculous. It's amazing. The dialogue is so bad. Like it's just amazing what he does. Like, I mean, it's the future and he's driving around in, a very shitty Impala, and they seemingly have an endless supply of them because he has another newer one later on after he trashes the first one. And, you know, it's like the dialogue is just <laughs> ridiculous. I feel like a lot of it was for shock value. So on the one hand, I can say that this movie is somewhat of a turd, and the whole movie to me is really like the opening scene because it's so ridiculous. And then the end, which is very cool. You know, we get the final battle, and then the uh, leader of the clan predator tosses him the flintlock pistol as a as a gift, as a trophy for beating one of them. And of course, we see on the wall the xenomorph skull. You know, so on the one hand, that's the whole movie to me. You know, it's just like, it's kind of like, all right, you know, and it's over the top and it's just kind of stupid and <laughs> Jamaicans and like the Coke. It's just, so it's really just like the end of the movie. You know, that's where like all the lore exists. And, and I think that the film really is almost carried by that. Like I kept thinking about the end through the whole film and I couldn't wait to see the end part. And like that payoff enough <laughs> was enough for, the hour and 48 minutes, you know, 
But then on this, on the other hand, on my my other self, it's great over the top action. You know, just in that like late '80s, early '90s style that you you can't beat. I mean, I think like Jarhigo and I said in the pregame, it's that you, we were so jaded by Schwarzenegger not being in it. You know, that we were like, I'm not gonna go see that. It's not cool enough. But now watching watching it as an adult, now that's how I feel about it. Yeah, that opening scene is awesome. I love it. There's something about movies from that era that with the over the topness. I don't know. I I got I got like uh <clears throat> like RoboCopish sort of vibes from it, you know. Mm. Um, you know, is, is it supposed to take place in the future, Predator Two? Is it supposed to take place like seven years in the future? Yeah, seven years in the future, right? So yeah, this idea that like you know crime is out of control and there's like you know drug lords with fucking military weaponry coked out of their fucking minds, just creating a fucking war on the streets. I don't know. I mean, it is so over the top. You don't get that anymore. And it just is. <laughs> I just I loved the opening of that movie. I had so much fun with it. Totally. And it turns out that it takes place in the same year as RoboCop. So there's uh, certainly some synchronicity there. Mm-hmm. So w- wait a second. You're saying that in terms of the lore of the films, this one takes place in 97 and RoboCop takes place in 97. So I saw somewhere. Yes. Interesting. How come there was never a uh, Predator versus RoboCop? I just was thinking that while you were talking. I was like, these movies should exist in the same universe. They really should. I mean, if Aliens does, then... Yeah, exactly. How cool would it be if Aliens, Predator, and RoboCop all shared a universe? That'd be fucking legit. Well, they do in our universe, so that's the most important thing. There you thing. go. It's official. Boom. On the uh, On the beginning and the silliness of the just like crappy old car and, and it's amazing <laughs> danny glover like pinballing in at at freaking mach one to save the day <laughs> and then like ripping the door off his car and like it's just like what are you doing bro scene it is just amazing i want to i want to drop one of my nuggets now because it's perfect where it turns out the studio was pushing the director really fucking hard for steven seagal to play the lead Oh, oh my God. Which, like, it's so much the opening in the streets fucking sequence where he has the sleeveless vest and the beret. So, like, like it totally has that feel, man. It's so, it's such a perfect, it's such a perfect side by side for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling Gino Fellino. Like, I'm just, yeah. I'm in my mind. I'm taking Gino Fellino, the Italian salami, and I am putting him in those scenes in my head. Oh, man, and it would just be horrible. It would have ruined the movie by just thinking about it for a moment. It's just so entertaining. Yeah, but even with that ridiculous accent, that would make it, like, perfect. (laughs) Absolutely perfect. The fake Guido versus Predator. (laughs) What's going on over here? Hey. I feel like if this movie starred Steven Seagal, it would have been a short film where Predator just fucking murders him in the first ten minutes. (laughs) He would have tried to do some fucking... Aikido on the Predator, and he just would have, like, ripped him in half. Yeah, he would have tried to, like, catch the Frisbee, and it would have just cut his hand off. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, did you know I taught the Predator his uh, secret moves? Yeah, the Predator hired him. (laughs) Exactly, he's the sidekick. (laughs) Like all the other MMA fighters. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I just, uh, I love that... uh, Number one, I love that they were pushing for Seagal. And number two, I'm so thankful that the director was like, uh, nah. 
Yeah, I, I remember when this came out, I, I thought Danny Glover was a weird choice. You know, obviously coming off Lethal Weapon, you know, he was definitely an action, I wouldn't say action star in the same sense as Mel Gibson, maybe, but, you know, he was definitely an action movie guy. Yeah. But I just thought, like, you know, I was like, no Arnold and Danny Glover? I was like, that's weird. It is It is uncool, and therefore I will not be watching. You mentioned, Kev, you mentioned in your first Quantum Self that you appreciated the ending in terms of the major component of the lore, and... I, I, while I love the ending, um, I think one of the things I like the most about this and especially the first predator is that it's like playing into the most basic of instincts, no pun intended. And I'm not going to uncross my legs with underwear in regards to being toppled off the top of the food chain. I just think that the idea of a predator coming down and being kind of all powerful and hunting humans is just like terrifying. And the like, Prey becoming stronger and stronger throughout the films. Like Arnie becomes more and more capable and setting, you know, traps and eventually conquers the the predator and Danny Glover along a similar arc. I feel like the, you know, he's a tough guy fighting drug lords and then it just goes to shit and it's no longer about drug lords and then he's like disarmed, his guns are all gone and he ends up with one of the predator's weapons. Like, I really like that through line and it kind of has a maybe not a lore feel, but it has a really, I don't know. I think it's a really strong story. Like it, it is so basic and so primordial in terms of prey becoming the hunter, the hunted becoming the hunter that I really dug it. So mm. it's another layer that I, that I really appreciated. Wow. I'm glad you just said that. Cause that made me realize that I think I'm a little jaded about like, we've seen this type of film so many times. Yeah. I think I was a little more, jaded than I needed to be. That's a good point. Really good point. Mm -hmm. But just to, I want to echo what Ben said, uh, just the opening of the movie, you know, Harrigan flying in like a bat out of hell, like literal war zone. Like they just, they don't make movies like that anymore. They don't, man. The dude like slapping cocaine into his face. Oh my God, dude. Like South American drug lords that are like, like hyper coked up. It's just ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) Fucking Danny Glover rooting around in the back of his fucking trunk, fucking pulling out hand cannon after hand cannon. No, no, bigger, bigger. And then he, fucking, <laughs> he ends up pulling out like a sawed-off shotgun with a scope on it. Like, oh what? yeah, baby. <laughs> and, then, and then blasts himself over there. And he's like, hey, assholes, and just blasts them all point blank five times, cocking his shotgun. Like he would have gotten fucking Swiss cheese over there, man. It was just well perfect. Yeah. Two things about that. I love it was like, oh, no, I'm going to get the really good gun that's, uh, you know, glued to the inside of the trunk of the car, the lid. You know what I mean? The trunk lid. Yeah. Yeah. And then before he goes over to shoot those assholes, (laughs) he takes the time to drive the car forward, then back up to rip the door off. I was like, right on. So good. It's so, so ridiculous. We need to definitely need to spend a minute picking apart this this opening scene. It's pretty legit. I mean, his entrance, yeah, it is legit. His entrance is just the best. You know, it's like all this complete and total chaos going around. He just, he comes flying down that road going like 50 miles an hour, hits a van straight away, knocks it out of the way, and then just jumps out and just starts barking at everybody, you know? With his little pea shooter. What the hell's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) 
Yeah, he like he just rolls in. He's like, "So, give me an update, guys." And they're all just like behind this one car. <laughs> <laughs> Danny's like, "Guys, oh, this is really yeah, it's a really complicated situation, boss." You know. <laughs> I got this. Hang on. Yeah, he's like, "Okay, I'll be right back." It's just ah, oh, it's beautiful. It's just it beautiful. Is beautiful man. This was this was like right around the same time as the Lethal Weapon movies, right? Yeah, right after. Yeah, it's like he's like he's playing rigs in this movie. Oh, dude, yeah. Whoa, like, this this whoa, movie is Lethal whoa. Weapon three, as far as I'm concerned. There you go, Lethal Weapon three, Predator two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it kind of is. Harrigan is Harrigan is definitely like very you know him and Riggs would would have a little bit of a problem with each other I think it'd be too uh you know they'd be like yeah, this town's not big enough for the both of us this town's not big enough for the both of us Riggs <laughs> ooh whoa that was really good man you just nailed that dude that was good I think uh, I think Murtaugh slash Harrigan is salty because his partner Riggs got killed so he's a solo dude. guy dude. Jesus, Ooh. man, this is some really good show lore. I like it. So I think that's why, yeah, he's pissed. He just like is out. He's out for blood, man. He he just wants to fuck all these drug lords up because maybe these guys killed killed Riggs, and all of a sudden a predator drops in, and he can take out all of his his you know anger on the predator. It's pre- this is definitely Lethal Weapon three, definitely. And then uh, in the Riggs and Murtai universe, like that all took place in L A. Correct. Yes, it did. Yes, it did, right? Yes, it did. So there you go. He's already there. No no plane ride needed like Gino Felino would. <laughs> and you know, his his uh his his tagline of uh get too old for this shit switches over to shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> I I wanted to hear I'm getting too old for this shit in this man. It would have just been so perfect. I did too, but I got to be honest with you, man. Like he said so many times in this movie I feel like this was almost more the tagline. Like, yeah, shit happens was definitely one of them. But like, everywhere he went, it was just, "Hey, get the hell out of my way! Everybody, get the hell out of my way! Everybody, move! Everybody, get out of here!" <laughs> right? Like, he yeah. just everywhere he went, he was just charging in, guns blazing, man. Like, he did not care one whit about his life or anybody else's around him, man. Get the hell out of my way, Heineman. That's it. You got it, man. <laughs> yeah, the Heineman guy was a bit of a <laughs> – played by the legendary Robert Davi, but it was just such a uh, – he could have totally have been wearing one of the uh, cop uniforms from Demolition Man with the, like, Demolition Man glasses and stuff. He was just such a cardboard cutout of a character. You know what he did? He he walked off of the Die Hard set over – and then on the way to this set, he walked through the demolition man set, grabbed a <laughs> uniform, and then and then rolled up in there. Right? I mean, totally. Davi yeah, to me, it, just to go on a little thing about Davi, he is just an underrated, underappreciated '80s '90s icon in my in my <laughs> film universe for sure. Possibly the EBD universe. I just, you know, diehard Goonies, like, the list goes on. The guy's awesome. Oh, he's been in everything, man. He's legendary. Yeah, no doubt, man. Just legend, you know? So, But just to circle back to the beginning real quick, like, I, I just, like, when the Colombians go upstairs, the amount of weaponry, 
hardware that they have and coke that they sniff is just bananas, man. They're they're fucking gacked up to 11. It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my God. Definitely gacked up to 11, dude. It's the traditional, like, let's do some stupid action shit for the first five minutes to make people stoked that they are sitting in the theater and then immediately shift gears into, like, this is not about the drug trade, even though the cops still think it is. Like, they're so off, they're so off their game and have no idea what they're stepping into. Right. And then Busey immediately reinforces that by basically saying, like, you have no idea what you're stepping into, you know? So it's just – it's a perfect true. setup. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and I <laughs> – <laughs> Busey was so perfect in this man. I fucking love that dude. <laughs> fucking Busey, man. The concept of what you're dealing with is way over your head. <laughs> Utah, give me two. Anybody? Nobody gonna bite on that one. <laughs> yeah, man, totally. Put a point break. Ooh, it's a good one. We gotta do. We gotta do point break because I'm not a fan, and I want to. I want to just be beaten mercilessly by you two. Oh, I cannot wait to beat you. That will be a lot of fun. O- opening aside, considering we're, you know, 30 minutes in on uh, the first three minutes of the movie. Yep. The Scooby-Doo style, you know, posse, all the various cops and knucklehead cops, including Paxton that gets brought in for the speech. I just love how they're just like, I don't know, car- th- they're kind of cartoony. They're just like the most stereotypical, like we're the cops that don't follow the rules, but we're not the corrupt cops. They're like, we're the cops that are so good that we're not going to follow the rules kind of bullshit. Right. We're like the ad- adrenaline junkie cops. But they're the adrenaline junkie cops with like hearts of gold. You know, like they're not out there like training day style fucking making deals on the side. You know, like they're actually trying to take down these cartels. Yeah, it's like uh, it's taken all the tropes that came up in 80s, you know, action cop flicks and just turned them up to 11. It's like a caricature of those. Yeah. Of those tropes. It's like, yeah, it's it's it's, but it's it's terrific. It's done really well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you you know, like one of my favorite ones is right in the beginning. It's like Harrigan comes plowing and he's like, what's going on, guys? And then like they're giving him a sit rep. He's like, where's the SWAT team? You know, and then there's like the I don't know, there's a guy right behind him in kind of SWAT gear. Seems like he's in command of the situation. I can't really tell. And he's like, you know, Harrigan starts running in. He's like, ah, just let him go with him. You know, like, like straight away. <laughs> the guy's just, like, I can't let you in there, Harrigan. He's like, fuck you. Get out of my way. <laughs> I can't let you go in there. Okay, well, just go with him. <laughs> it's just so stupid, man, yeah. you know? <laughs> but the, um, I feel like the the posse in this are like, like you said, Benny, they're caricatures, they're the same old tropes, but they're very much like everybody in Predator 1. But for me, watching Predator 1, like, you don't realize early on that it's a uh, horror-esque last last man standing movie and everyone's going to die. Whereas in this one, you know everyone except for Danny Glover is going to get just brutally murdered or is likely to get brutally murdered. So they're almost like the red shirts in Star Trek where like they come in and they're all like goofy fucking randos. And then you're like, oh, these guys are all getting their shit pushed in. They're all going to die. <laughs> mm, mm. I like that. Goofy randos. You pick up pretty quick that they're just fodder, you know, like they're just going to get picked off. No doubt. Basically, everybody dies. What? Whoa, meta. <laughs> Ooh. Did I just do that? 
in this film, everybody dies. But they're not, they're not like, I mean, you cared about them, you know? So they're yeah. a little more, they're a, a little more than red shirts, you know? Like there's an, enough, you know, you learn enough about them that you actually care. Even, even uh, Danny, you know, like who's, you know, in the movie for about, about 10 minutes. <laughs> Ruben Blades character. Like, yeah, I love Danny, man. He was great. Yeah, he's awesome. And and Maria Conchito Alonso, man, I'm I'm a huge fan of hers, man. She was in Running Man and like all these films. Yeah, you know, in that era, and I, you know, well, she's the only other one that survives. Yeah, which similar throwback to the first one, you know, the other lady survives. Oh wait, you're right because she's pregnant. Yeah, and then the other lady in Predator One survived because she was unarmed, I believe. Right? Yes. Ye- yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that no, he's right, Ben. That was it because that the in the subway same subway scene where she is let go, somebody makes a comment that the reason why the civilians died is because they were all armed. Because in that subway scene was so ridiculous. Oh my god! I love how like they start getting harangued. That guy gets harangued by the gang members. He pulls out a gun and then every other passenger pulls out a 38. I was like, what? Come on. Dude, it was like the naked gun. I loved that. It was a little too much naked gun for this movie. Like, which I loved, <laughs> but that was exactly what everyone that wasn't from the West coast thought, thought it was like, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was into it. The next major beat, it's not necessarily in this order, but the next major scene that I hadn't recalled but was super, I don't know, memorable was the penthouse Jamaicans gutting the dude getting fucked by his girlfriend scene. You know, like the helicopter shot of the girl just completely going nuts on top of him and then, you know, Predator comes in and fucks it all up. I love that that whole sequence. And I loved how the penthouse had that like kind of Aztecian sort of right decor, like the way the walls and the pillars were built. That's so <laughs> ridiculous. So, it was so dumb. It's so it's like why like it wasn't even really. It was just like a giant room with a bed in it, really, and, and columns. Like, and columns. <laughs> you don't ever actually ever see anything else about the you know penthouse or whatever it is like. It's just the dude has his like fucking bed set up in between these columns, like right off the elevator. Like (laughs) (laughs) you get off the elevator and his fucking bed's right there. Walks straight in. At the same time, you could imagine a total douchey drug lord doing something like that. But it was also just so dumb. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely, man. You know, it's all about the machismo. When you walk into my penthouse, you're going to see me having sex. I want you to ride me like a stallion, baby. Goodness gracious. Trope-alicious, man. Should we, can we, since you brought up the Jamaicans, can we talk about the trope that is the Jamaicans, please? Oh, my God, dude. Jamaican voodoo? <laughs> they don't practice voodoo in Jamaica, but okay. They don't? No. So, just so dumb, man. Dude. The the guy that's like interrogating the guy that basically mutilates the the drug lord those gold pants and then he's wearing a wristband that looks like it's like it's like made out of like snakeskin and it has big long frilly fringes on it. <laughs> it's just like on one hand <laughs> oh my god man when they went to pick up uh, Harrigan Ben they roll up in a caddy with a zebra top. 
Oh, yeah. Gold caddy with a zebra top. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know how all that weirdness signifies Jamaicans, but. You guys might want to cut down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I totally pictured, like, King Willie driving a car just like the Duke and Escape from New York with the chandeliers on the back or whatever. Oh, wow. <laughs> but with a zebra top. Yeah, exactly. That's the only thing that that's the only thing that caddy was missing was some chandeliers, man. That's it, man. Exactly, dude. I, I, uh, yeah, the amount of smoke that came out of that car when he got out, like he was like, yeah, you guys might want to cut down. It's like you you would be so baked. It'd <laughs> be so high, man. You would be so high, you wouldn't even be able to talk to King Willie, dude. <laughs> the King Willie thing, too, man. It's just like. Jamaicans doing some voodoo ritual and gutting a dude and getting killed and skinned. The skin bit was like I probably one of the more memorable elements of that other scene. But and then you know King Willie just throwing chicken bones on a barrel <laughs> over and over again. It was just yeah so cheese dick, but so funny and like oh the whole thing, man. It's just exactly the kind of stereotypical bullshit that everyone thought made sense around that time, but was just so not at all. <laughs> You know. Well, it was also, you know, there was a very chicken or the egg thing with that stuff, Chad, because it was like, this was also putting in the minds of people what Jamaicans were like. And, yeah, and, that's fair. You know, it's interesting to point out, too, that March for Death, it was a Seagal, a Seagal film, came out right around the same time as this, which also featured Jamaican <laughs> voodoo drug gangs. <laughs> it's so fucked, man. I mean, we're... How did the how did Jamaicans get pulled into this shit? Were there was there even such a thing as like Jamaican drug gangs in the uh, like eighties nineties? It's said that there was in St. Louis, I think, and New York, but I don't. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be voodoo, but um, I don't know, right? Whether they just like took the idea and dialed it up or what? But I mean, we have this weird kind of insider awareness considering that a large part of people that we worked with on Nantucket were Jamaican. So like, yeah, maybe we're a little more aware of the Jamaican culture than other people, but it's just like, it is not what was in this movie. No. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like we've all worked with known and have been friends with Jamaicans and they are absolutely 100% not like this. (laughs) But it's just so looking back on it now and seeing it now, it's hilarious. But at the time it's like, holy shit, guys talk about stereotypes. And they also, I feel like all these like Jamaican voodoo movies, like, the way they talked was like there was this super bizarre cryptic quality to it. You know, they were always saying things like the bones, they always come out the same. <laughs> you know, like that's what he says. So dumb. Like what is he doing in the alley? Like I didn't get that either. You know, like, like okay, we're going to take you to meet King Willie. All right, all right, here we go. We're here. You know, here, what does he live in an alley? I can't do a good arrogant. That so that's terrible. all right. <laughs> that's bad. I love how he throws the bones and kind of meets meets with Harrigan or whatever, and just they bullshit for a minute. Harrigan's like, "Okay, bye," and then two seconds later, the predator just jumps down and fucking cuts his head off. You know, like there's just zero interest in developing the Jamaican element of the plot. It's just another device for fast forwarding the the story. Well, not even that, but it's like one second after Harrigan walks around the corner, the predator appears, who he's looking for, who he goes to see King Willie about. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. 
It's funny. King Willie live in an alley. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting performance, King Willie. <laughs> yeah, very very nuanced, Ben. So real quick, I just looked up "Marked for Death." It actually came out the same year as this movie. So we had a oh god double double dose of Jamaican voodoo drug lords. I don't want to derail us too much here, but I would like a research project done by Jimmy Google to determine exactly when Jamaican Me Crazy became a flavor, because maybe it was this year. Dude! <laughs> With Marked for Death and Predator 2. Chad, I don't think you need a research project for that. I think you just figured it out. We should do a we should do a fake advertisement for uh, for, for Seagram's. That gym. has to happen. <laughs> Today's episode of In This Episode Every Dies is brought to you by Seagram's Golden Wine Coolers Jamaican Me Crazy flavor. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd have to say it in that terrible Jamaican accent. Jamaican Me Crazy. I think um just uh so we yeah we got two Jamaican doses in the, in the same year and in. It's important to point out that the the leader of the Jamaican voodoo gang and Mark for Death was Screwface. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, that's right, Screwface. I just it's just so dumb. It's like King <laughs> Willie. What do you do? I'm going to meet King Willie. He lives in an alley in L.A. <laughs> Throws chicken bones on a fifty gallon drum for fun. Dim bones, they always the same. I think that maybe maybe the secret reason that this podcast exists is to connect the various Seagram's Golden Wine Cooler flavors to the EBD Extended Cinematic Universe. Well, it's it's one it's one reason. I can't remember what the other flavors are, but uh, we got two. One of them is like Calypso Crunch, or no, not cr- not Crunch. That's, that sounds like a cereal. Calypso Colada, I think, is what it was. It is Calypso Colada, Jamaican Me Crazy. <laughs> I told you I didn't want to take like, us off on a, on a <laughs> Jamaican me happy man Isn't it Jamaican me ha- happy Not Jamaican me crazy Yeah it's Jamaican me happy Wild berries, strawberry daiquiri Peach fuzzy navel, black cherry fizz <laughs> are, you, are you reading that? <laughs> I'm ad-libbing it No <laughs> And barefoot Bruno I'm looking at a picture I love that these are the real flavors. I'm not just making it up. Holy fuck. Dude, I love that they have an entire website literally dedicated to just these beverages. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is Jamaican Me Happy, but I'm going to stick with Jamaican Me Crazy because fuck oh, it. Oh, shit. It, it is Jamaican Me Happy. Sorry. Yeah. Jamaican Me Happy, man. Um, and it <laughs> says on the website, just real quick, Ben, sorry, hold that thought. The, the fan favorite flavor is Jamaican Me Happy. <laughs> wow. That's only because they didn't provide a, a barefoot brune on every case. There were only one in every hundred cases, like Wonka's Golden Ticket. Yeah, yeah. We might need to start inventing more Seagram's flavors based on other, you know, like Danny Glover should have one. And, well, maybe yeah. that's maybe Jamaican Me Crazy is is the uh, Predator 2 varietal of Seagram's. Oh, definitely. It definitely is. I love it. Oh, dude, Bahama Mama? That's a great flavor name. Who fucking drinks these things? <laughs> I will say this, though. I will say this. I wasn't going to say this. I was secretly going to get a case just so I could, like, 
you know, nerd around with it and possibly take some photos or something that we could use on the show. Uh-huh. And when I went to Costco a couple of weeks ago, I asked the girl because I, I noticed that there was there wasn't any in there. And I was like, I could have swore you guys had some cases of um, Seagram's <laughs> escapes. I couldn't even like I felt so weird asking it and saying it out loud. Right. <laughs> so I was like, I could have swore you guys had some cases of Seagram's escapes. And she was like, oh, uh, she's like, there's none over there? And I was like, no. She's like, well, we must have sold out. She's like, they're crazy popular. Those things go real fast. And I was like, wow. Okay. Really? Wow. <laughs> I love that. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Really? I could not believe that. She's like, we, we should have some back in tomorrow or the next day for sure. I was like, wow. okay. That's not going away anytime soon. That's so sick. Oh. It, one, of the, one of the names is Orange Sassy Swirl. <laughs> That's that's actually my nickname. Pink Pineapple Passion. The uh, the Mexican guys that I worked with in the restaurant when I was a kid used to call me Orange Sassy Swirl. Dude, your new name is official, dude. Orange Sassy Swirl. Orange Sassy Swirl. Definitely. All right. And our friend Orange Sassy Swirl. Should I redo the beginning of the show right now? Since we're so derailed, we've gone into, like, <laughs> outer space. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Well, Kev, I mean. Seagrams. Cold and coolers. Seagrams. Hey, uh, real quick. They've got black cherry fizz, and then they have this b- flavor name is super bizarre. Michigan cherry fizz. I don't know how that fits into the whole, like... <laughs> Tropical theme. Michigan cherry fizz? Those Michiganders are very tropical. And then they have the next one is a cherry Italian ice, which also I don't get. Lemon Italian ice. Blue raspberry Italian ice. Wow, this this list is insane. Tropical rosé. Blackberry breezer. Did we drop that one yet? Oh, my God. Classic lime margarita. I think Seagal likes the lemon Italian ice. Blueberry acai lemonade. Peach Bellini. <laughs> so it's official. It's an official flavor for Predator 2. I apologize profusely for the massive derailment that I knew was going to happen, but I couldn't resest. No, it's <laughs> Jamaican me happy, man. <laughs> Jamaican me happy, man. It's got real ganja, man, and chicken bones. I'm the Wolverine, along with Jarhigo and Orange Sassy Swirl. <laughs> Stand by. Folks, we'll be back to the madness in a minute after these words from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by us. Folks, we wanted to take a break from the show and just thank everybody so much for tuning in. Uh, You can always rate us, review us wherever you get your podcasts if you want to support the show further. And you can also tell somebody to check out the show. And we would urge you to do so because it helps us grow the show and make the show better. Yeah, it really helps. We really appreciate it. We're we're really looking to to share our thoughts with you guys in terms of the way that the show, you know, arrives in your podcast players, but we also want to kind of build a community. So, we'd love to chat and and hear from you guys about what you like and what you don't like and anything that you'd like us to do episodes on. So, shoot us recommendations. And then, you know, to start a bit of a potential tradition of uh questions 
specifically, we'd love to hear, you know, what your favorite episode so far has been and maybe what your least episode, uh, least favorite episode so far has been, just so we can kind of understand a bit better what, uh, what you guys are digging. Yeah. And what is not being dug at all. Yeah. We're totally open to the feedback. So, um, you can shoot us responses to the question via email contact at ebd.fm or via, um, any of our social channels. So we're at EBD podcast on most, um, on most platforms. And now back to the mayhem. Back to, back to Paxton. We kind of breezed right past him in the train sequence. And we can't do that because he's almost like Carl Urban at this point. This is a Bill Paxton movie. Bill Paxton as Jerry Lambert. It's pronounced Lambert. Hey, man, PR is my specialty. <laughs> he, had, he had his kind of was rocking his Hudson vibe and not like his radar operator vibe from Commando. <laughs> so... We don't get to get a lot of, uh, you must land your aircraft now. There's really not a lot of that going on. In this. It's no, really it's, the... there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Chet in there, I think. Yeah, Chet. Yeah, definitely a little bit Chet there, you know. Hey, Lieutenant, surveillance is my specialty. <laughs> I love how he's always just walking around telling stupid ass jokes. Oh my God. Dude, you gotta do the underwear one. What is the underwear one? Oh, he says something like, the doctor asked me for a urine sample, stool sample, and a semen sample. I said, well, doc, why don't you just take my underwear? Oh, yeah, that's right, dude. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there was a bunch of those, man. But he but he was – what I liked about Paxton's character, and this is somewhat of a testament to how great Paxton was, is that he was goofy and he was smooth and he actually knew what he was doing. And then, like, at that one point in the bar – like, he totally picks up that chick. He walks up to that guy. He's like, hey, man, you mind? That's my sister. And he's like, hey, you're not my sister. She's like, hi. <laughs> hey. I was like, that is really tight. It's so Bill Paxton, too. You got to appreciate that, man. I still feel like I'm, I I don't want to be out of line here, but I feel pretty strongly that him in the convertible with Arnie and True Lions is like peak Bill Paxton. He's got an ass like a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> Oh my god, man! <laughs> it was it was he was very similar to Jerry Lambert in this in that movie. Perfectly cast. I, I agree. I, I, my, one of my favorite lines from True Lies is something I still say all the time that nobody ever gets. It's the training. You react in a microsecond. And I guess that's kind of <laughs> how he would sound. That's perfect. <laughs> that was great. That was a little. That was a little Bill Clinton. Though, that's all right. They're, kinda, yeah, they're similar. If you go if you go low with Bill Paxton, you kind of get Bill Clinton. It's the training. You react in a microsecond. <laughs> if you try to do if you try to do Paxton too quiet, you end up with Clinton. Oh, King Billy. King Billy. When you try to do him too quiet, he turns into he turns into to Bill Clinton. It's just the way it goes. I think now I'm always going to think of King King Billy as a uh... Bill Clinton. See, that would have been good. Um, anyway, he was so that that's what was really cool about Paxton's character was that he just kind of inhabited all those spaces, man. You know, he wasn't just like the goofball, like who who was like slick and he was dressed well, and then he went, you know, running around the corner and got his ass kicked, like Larry Minetti as Rick in Magnum. You know what I mean? He he could actually deliver on what he was doing, and he really, you know, he sacrifices himself. To <laughs> Jesus Christ! I can't believe I'm saying this like this. He sacrifices himself to save everybody at the end in the subway scene, which is where he delivers, in my opinion, what is 
his best line in the film and possibly the best line in the film. And that line is, All right, everybody, take a breath. Loosen your sphincters. We don't need any rush hour Rambos. (laughs) 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 And you kind of like, if you're not really watching carefully, because there's a lot going on in that scene, it's like, you know, the predator jumps down, the gang members are there. It kind of gets buried a little bit. So I had to actually stop it and rewind it. And listen to it again to make sure that I heard it right. But that's what he says. Take a breath. Loosen your sphincters. We don't need any rush hour Rambos. I was like, that is the best line in the movie. That's so good. Uh, Paxton. Uh, Paxton. And Maria Conchita Alonso is very much around that time, too. I really appreciate, and I'm sure that all of our Latin American listeners will appreciate your pronunciation of her name with accent. The half-assed attempt at my pronunciation. I think it's Bill Paxton's skull that gets ripped out and spine that gets ripped out by the Predator at the end of that scene, hey, and then brought up to the top of that skyscraper. I thought it was I thought it was Danny that had his skull ripped out. Am I wrong? Isn't that just what the Predators do? That's like the trophy they collect from humans. At least in the first movie, that seems like what it was. That's what I that's what I always thought too, Ben. But I love the fake force lightning at the top of the building with the Predator. That was funny. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah, that was great. But I I also liked that in the sense that it showed that the predators are are you know like their technology their machinery is fallible you know what I mean it's not like like they, their technology can be affected by regular things like on planet Earth as well so right like water with King King whatever his name was King Billy King Billy <laughs> the bones. Yeah. Like when the Predator goes to kill Bill Clinton and like you can see his reflection in the puddles and the water like shorts out the invisibility stuff. Yes. Yes. We've renamed so many people in this movie. I was like, wait, who's he talking about? (laughs) Maybe I should just have Bill Clinton holding a Jamaican Me Happy wine cooler as the uh, accompanying art. I I just had this, you know, side thought of like, you know. I'll just finish this bucket of KFC. I got these chicken bones left over. Can't stop rolling them around. (laughs) And now I'm going to enjoy a delicious Jamaican be happy. (laughs) I picture President Clinton dressed up like a Jamaican Rastafarian. Like it would just be so, so horrible. (laughs) Oh Oh my God. Bill Clinton is a white dread. That's (laughs) (laughs) he would have been one of the twins from the matrix i'm dead oh there you go we are becoming aggravated oh that was worth the death right there Mm. fucking twins that was definitely worth the death not like this that's kind of bill clinton too what's her name kind of it's a little bit yeah yeah not not like this oh who switch we're so far (laughs) down a fucking rabbit hole right now we just cannot get on track I don't care. I'm having a laugh. Let's move on to the uh, the warehouse scene, man. I love that uh, sequence. Yeah, we're do- we're done with Paxton. He's great. We all know that. This is a great. I'm so glad he was in this movie. Go. I've I have a pretty strong memory of just the way that they shot the warehouse scene, where it's all like UV, and you know, Busey's got his whole astronaut suit, aluminum foil bullshit, and they're all gonna go and. <laughs> Save the day, and they've got this great plan, you know? It just goes to complete shit, just like in Aliens, you know, with the beeper. 
And um, I just have a distinct memory of like the predator only seeing in in infrared and then swapping his visor and just be like, oh no, he can see them, you know. And, <laughs> oh yeah, I just love that whole yeah. sequence. It's so good. Well, I did too because I remember seeing this when it came out, and I remember having a similar reaction. Chat, I was watching it, and I was like, oh man, now he's gonna get it. And then it was like click click, and I was like, oh man, no. Like all oh, those guys are dead. <laughs> exactly, dude. And the fake uh, Busey death, where like the predator ends up shooting backwards over his shoulder, like he as a throwaway. He doesn't give a fuck about Busey, and he jumps down to take on Danny Glover. And you like you think that Busey just got shot to shit, but then he comes back again. <laughs> so funny, man. That's so good. He literally says something. Guess who's back? Yeah, exactly. Guess who's back? It's me, Gary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets cut in half with the uh, frisbee. It's really not. It's not like a frisbee. It's more like the 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 gladius or whatever it's called from Krull. The glaive, right? It's kind of like a mix between the Krull glaive or whatever the thing was called and the and like a batarang. It doesn't spin. It somehow just flies straight. It just says like weird little sparkles yeah, on it. Gotta love that. And you know what else I loved about that weapon? If I can just uh, digress on that for a second, like the the thing is sort of shown to be so sharp when it's first revealed and then used, but then Danny Glover just takes his belt and puts it through it and then throws it over his arm, and it it never cuts him ever. (laughs) Yeah, he like hooks it on his fucking keychain and throws it in his pocket. It's like no biggie. (laughs) Pretty sure this thing's safe hanging around my junk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of like weaponry uh, cul-de-sacs for a moment, I loved the scene where they're in the forensics lab and the lady's like, let me just stick that in my bleep bloop. And it's like, oh, wow, totally unknown periodic tables of elements. <laughs> it's, it's like I'm, I'm picking up traces of animal hormones and blood and cow blood. They must have come from a slaughterhouse. And then Paxson's like, slaughterhouse? That's like the other thing. Let's go to the slaughterhouse district. That's where Keys was today. <laughs> it's just the most perfect scene. Like, oh fuck, I loved it. Chad, you you just coined a new thing. Like that is that is exactly. Bleep, bleep. Thank you. Yes. Like in these movies, it's always like, let me just throw that in my bleep bloop. But I loved that she was German too. Like I actually had that in my notes. I was like, she, yeah. You know, I was like, oh, of course she's German. She's got to be. Let me see that lieutenant here again. She had, I thought she was going to come back later in the movie or something because they, they sort of played it up like she was going to be uh, an important character or something, but she just never comes back. Well, that character is in so many movies, and, you know, usually that character does come back later in the movie and play some key role in, like, figuring out the puzzle, you know, because, I mean, Mike Harrigan's too busy, like, literally breaking down entire walls of buildings. Howling at everybody. Oh, my God. Yeah, I loved how she was like, hmm, but it's so light. Let me see that, Lieutenant Hergen. She's like kind of half German, half French. Mm. <laughs> you know, Lieutenant, this is very interesting. When I put it into my bleep bloop. <laughs> <laughs> it shows that there are four elements that are not on the periodic table. My bleep bloop says there are four elements that are unknown on the periodic table. 
and they also coincidentally have hormones and cow blood. It's, I think they were at a, a strange <laughs> alien slaughterhouse. That's house with H-A-U-S, by the way. Because that's how we spell it in Germany. Yup. <laughs> Sorry to all our German fans out there. So back to back to the slaughterhouse. Gary Busey, fake death, and the random PJ Sparkles fucking battering thing. I just it's just such a great sequence. I love it. It really is. And that just the like when you're really thinking the predator's finally gonna get his and then he switches his vision in two seconds, you're like, oh man. <laughs> But then randomly stands there in front of Danny Glover while getting blasted and doesn't move out of the way. Well, firstly, I love how they had a a tractor-trailer command center. And they took the time to make a Star Trek-style sliding door that was electric on it to get in it. Yes. Secondly, when Harrigan's inside with Adam Baldwin, he's noticing that, like, the whole vision thing has changed and, like – they're they're not noticing it. Adam Baldwin's not noticing it. And then he gets on the mic and everybody starts yelling at him. And that's when he's like, I'm going in. There's a great little mini gear up scene where uh, yes. Harrigan digs into the trunk of goodies and pulls out some serious fucking artillery and a bulletproof vest. and Yeah, that we haven't seen before. Straight up commando gear up scene for sure. He's like, to hell with this bullshit. I'm going in. <laughs> Always. I feel like that was his attitude in the whole movie. Get out of my way. To hell with this bullshit. I'm going in. <laughs> I finally figured out what this random note I have is. I've, I, the whole time we've been doing this, I've been trying to figure out what I meant when I said the Predator looks like John Travolta. And I realized that it's when they take the mask off he, <laughs> with his uh, stupid mandible face. He looks like John Travolta in that movie where he plays an alien. <laughs> oh, in um, the stupid Scientology movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the one with Barry Pepper. and As soon as the mask came off, I was like, holy shit, it's Travolta, man. I love the idea. Battlefield Earth. Battle Battlefield Earth? We should do that one. Holy shit. We'll probably get sued by Scientology, but... Battlefield Earth? We definitely should do a movie like that. That's like a schlock fest. It's so bad. I think that would be good. Did the, uh, did the demasking of John Travolta here... Is that when the you're one ugly motherfucker happen? Yeah. Yeah, I was so like, come on. They say that in like every movie with a predator and an unmasking. It's like, come on, that's not that funny anymore. Uh, it was it was only the second movie by that point, so. Right. No, he, Arnold says that in the first one. Right, but I think that the fact that the predator finishes the thought indicates that, doesn't it? Yeah, they're familiar they're familiar with the fact that we think they're ugly motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're hunting us. They're like, you guys are, sh- are ugly shaming us. <laughs> Fuck you guys. You're hurting our feelings. <laughs> well, after the warehouse scene, the foot chase, the random predator on the roof while Danny Glover driving while looking up at the sky bullshit <laughs> happens. And then they end up on a roof where they have a little wrestling match and Danny Glover takes the battering and straps it to him like a belt like Benny suggested, after chopping the arm off, which is just a random sequence, but it leads to one of my favorite sequences, which is the Predator in the bathroom. And all of that is totally believable, too. But um, 100%. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, Ben, as you being the uh, resident um, construction expert here, you want to just talk about that little um, stew of drywall and broken glass? (laughs) Yes, blue blue goop that turns broken mirror shards into uh, yes 
alien future bandage. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the drywall, dude. That's what gives it. That's what gives him his fiber. Totally. <laughs> it's a little car, a little little construction humor there for you, folks. A little little tradesman humor for you, folks. Suddenly, Vin Diesel comes running with his stilts on. I was just, I was just gonna say, <laughs> need another bucket of joint compound in here, guys. Somebody say drywall. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting scene. The editor's just like, hmm, let's see here. What uh, uh, Bunsen burner? I'll just, mm, I'll just yep, break some of this, uh, break some of this out here and uh, smash this and uh, grind little, that up in the sink. Little drywall couple of tiles broken glass got some i didn't remember to bring my mortar and pestle with me so uh got some tile a little tile a little, little drywall a little uh little broken glass have you guys seen the sink plug anywhere the sink plug yeah <laughs> well i thought that little extendable bowl was pretty tight like i was like wow that's really cool and then he and then what was weird to me was that he he lights the thing on fire so i was like okay this is like a coleman camp stove but like the predator version right Mm-hmm. And then he just starts like pouring all the crap on top of it, and then the, the flame's gone, but like everything's turned into goo. Or no, no, the flame is gone, and the garbage is, <laughs> is in the bowl. And then he's he, then he's you know he sprinkles the the liquid on it, and it turns into the blue healing goo. <laughs> so weird to even and say out loud. Spackles it all over his body. Spackles, and it fucking hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I love the lady in the hallway, too. I forget the name of her husband. Bill, wake up. <laughs> She's just standing there in her nightie. Somebody in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, so good, man. I love that scene. I got to say, the lady had a great line. Like, when Harrigan finally comes rolling through there, and he's like, you know, did you see which way he went? She, no, no, no. He goes, it's okay. I'm a cop. She goes, I don't think he gives a shit about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was really that was one of the best sort of like uh like a quip or a one-liner from like a a random character in a movie that was definitely a good one yeah it was good stuff i love it that i love leading up to the bathroom that you know glover manages to take one of the predator's arms off too like that's pretty legit it's when the fight's really getting real yeah i couldn't remember this like the various different things that he did to defeat the predator going in so i was definitely curious to see that and it was you know it was a pretty legit fight like there wasn't anything like ridiculously over the top in terms of like you know oh there's no way he could have harrigan could have done that you know like he didn't try to like pick the predator up and throw him in the fire or whatever you know like something stupid like that like it all seemed pretty plausible so i definitely give this movie points for that yeah, but at this point, see the the predator is on the fucking run. Like at this point, oh yeah, at this point, Harrigan is hunting the predator, and it's pretty clear that the predator is sort of like I don't know, sort of seems to uh, figured out that he's met his match and he's he's in trouble. Yeah, you uh, you, you get you lose an arm, you're like I'm going back to the ship. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pack it up. Well, I suppose that's interesting too because like. Once the elevator shaft thing happens and it drops down into the ship, you realize that the reason the Predator is on the run to this particular building is for that reason. And, right. And it uh, it really cements the whole on-the-run thing for sure. No doubt. The whole ship, I, I half forgot the ship ending. And, and as you mentioned earlier in the show, Kev, it's like the highlight of the film in a way. It's so awesome to see the tech and a really cool set. And then there's multiple Predators and stuff. I really love that. 
And some multiple uh, look, interesting looking skulls in that trophy room, aside from the xenomorph and the human skulls. Which the xenomorph, like in a way, like we we brushed over it earlier, but the xenomorph being there was like one of the earliest examples to my memory of an Easter egg. Because I remember as a kid seeing that and being like, is that the fucking alien skull? And just being so pumped about it. Oh, yeah, dude. Everybody saw that and everybody was thought that and everybody was stoked about that. And I think you may be right. This this is this is possibly the proto Easter egg uh, algorithm. But this is also pre-internet. So there's no like looking it up kind of shit. You know, you like you might read about it in a magazine somewhere, but you, you just were like, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. There's no way to find out. You know, no, the Internet was was when you met up with your buddy on your bicycle and you were like, dude, did you see in Predator how there was an alien skull? That was no sweet. way. No way. Way. I don't believe you. No, it was in there. Squeal comes out of video. You're going to owe me five bucks. So, yeah. That's exactly right. So you want to do your thoughts on the ending, Kev? Because you were pretty stoked on it. I've got some thoughts to follow up. Yeah, I have two perspectives. I'm, I'm, there are, I do have some gripes about it. But, you know, I've, I've, we've kind of already said it. I mean, here we are at the end of the film. You know, Glover has definitely pretty legitimately beat the hell out of this Predator. He, you know, the Predator goes into the ship. He follows him. And then we see the trophy room, which is super cool. I don't really know how I felt about all the uh, dry ice fog on the floor. It kind of made it a little cheesy. <laughs> it was like... Okay. Like a rave? Well, yeah, man. And like that typically... I, I don't know. In some films, when you see that fog, it denotes that it's hot. Sometimes it denotes that it's cold. So it's tough to say. But... And it was a little cheesy. Because the rest of the set was so cool. Like the walls, like they really took their time... The production production department to really took their time with those. Like the walls are very intricate, and like the design and all of that. And I, I gotta say, like for the size of the room itself, <clears throat> the trophy area of it was kind of small. Like I feel like <laughs> for a well, just just bear with me, man. Bear with it's me. The best I mean, you can, you can laugh. I love just, it. Just, just bear live. Bear with me, man. Bear with me. So like the for a race of predator beings that pride themselves on hunting like this is like one of their main things like you would think that the trophies would sort of take center stage you know what i mean like i kind of dove a little too deeply into predator lore last night and i feel like a predator episode in general should maybe we should do something like that in the future but like that was my feeling on on the trophy thing, like I would think that they would make the trophies like the thing because they prize these, these, these things that they do. They're like huge accomplishments, you know, clearly. I noticed the same thing and I have a theory about it. The, the predator that was hunting Harrigan was a younger one, right? Yes. It's my theory too. And that's why he was able to be defeated. Yep. And that was his like little corner of the ship and his little trophy case. And that's why it wasn't so heavily populated. Nice. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, Jar Higo with a neutron bomb. Very nice. Yes. Yeah, I think this was a rite of passage test for that that predator, and the other ones were there to observe the test. Feeling you, man. Yeah. Okay. You actually—that is such a sound theory, man. I I could totally see that because it was sort of recessed, and then you could see the panel closing later. So it's totally plausible that like the other parts of the walls each had a panel 
with a trophy section for each predator, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, that makes that makes a lot more sense. But you know, I mean, he had a he had an alien skull in there, so fucking Harrigan's pretty badass. That's true. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. There is like a whole bunch of comic lore about like you're not considered like rite of passage until you've killed an alien and xenomorph, but Well, yeah, I didn't really want to go down this road, but yes, I read all that last night. Like that is literally what it is. They breed the xenomorphs on their own planet so they can put the young males through the rite of passage, which is killing a xenomorph. Like if you can kill a xenomorph, like you're good. Yeah. And I agree, it's not worth digging into because for me, like, I'm not like super stoked on that idea. I prefer personally the idea that like you can rite of passage with any type of hunt. And I think that this particular hunt is a rite of passage test. I, I just think that, um, I mean, that's a really great theory and that explains a lot and makes the ending for me um, even better because the movie, as I sort of indicated in the beginning, the movie to me, on the one hand, like one of myself is like, it's the beginning with the ridiculous opening and then it's the end because I'm like, I want to see the lore. Like you, you get a lot of lore in like five minutes at the end of this movie when he goes onto the ship. And that for me is really cool. That being said, after kind of going on the journey of this particular movie, like I, I think the predator lore in general sucks and I'm not, I think there's too many holes in it and I'm not going to get into it right now. But um, this movie dropping in that xenomorph skull and just the pistol and the whole thing at the end, I just, I thought it was awesome. The one thing that kind of deep sixed all that was the fact that the ship was underground in what looked like an abandoned train tunnel. And it's like, how did it even get there undetected? Yeah. You know, like that was just dumb. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, I saw that there were like fan theories about it and shit. And to be, to be honest, like I don't particularly mind. I totally get the point and it's a, it's a super valid point, but like you could hand wave it away with like cloaking shit, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like I guess. No doubt, dude. No doubt. I very much agree with your opinion of the lore as a whole outside of this movie and the first movie as just like not super great. And therefore, like, I feel like how the ship got there is similarly like I don't really mind because what I'm most interested in is the simple idea of a superior technological race of people that hunt for sport slash religion, you know, kind of like a Mandalorian style thing and keeping it simple with a advanced technological hunting species hunting us as being a terrifying thing is all you really need. And all this other lore shit, like, well, if done differently, might have been amazing. Like, I just don't fucking care. I don't care about the lore. Yeah, I don't care about the lore because it's so uninteresting and dumb. And it, it actually, it's so contrary to what we see in the films that it just kind of ruins it, man. Like, I, I read way too much is, is sort of what I'm driving at. And like... Yeah, I read a bit too. Yeah, the lore was just like... This lore makes no sense, like, at all. Well, it makes perfect sense when you consider it's a bunch of people trying to come up with ideas for a comic book series and, and you know, let's come up with a story about this. And it's just like, it doesn't do justice to the original ideas. Like, it's not elevating the source material, which we've talked about a lot, you know? Well, yeah, and I could make a really strong argument that it, it, it very much contradicts the original lore and, and itself, you know? So, yeah. It's uh, just whatever. Yeah, exactly that. I think I think just like so many other franchises or so many other universes, 
I'm kind of finding that it's up to me to decide which pieces I'm willing to like be stoked about. And I'm just going to like not worry about the rest of it. You know, like the star Wars stuff, like I'm just not worried about anything other than the original trilogy anymore. I don't really care about arguing about it anymore. I'm just going to like stick with the original. And this is the same where like you've got, Lethal Weapon 1, you've got Lethal Weapon 2, and then this is Lethal Weapon 3. Like, I don't need any more Lethal Weapons, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just leave it leave it where it is. Agree. All right, I just got to jot down your Star Wars death. All I'm saying is that people can like other movies and not like other movies, but for me, I'm finding with these universes, there are certain movies in these various universes that I love, and the rest of them I can leave and not be grumpy about and whatever. People can like them and people can not like them, but there are certain movies. So in this case, Predator 1 and Predator 2, I really, really like, and the rest of the movies, I don't have, I don't care. I just don't really watch them often. I've seen them all and whatever. They're fine. I don't care. But Predator 1 and Predator 2 are fucking awesome in very different ways, but they're awesome. Yeah, they're very different animals, but they're great. I would add some of the, I would add the TV series stuff as well. Sorry. Yeah. What am I thinking? Dude, Mandalorian is sick. I like the, I like a lot of the animated stuff too. So, oh, Clone Wars. Yeah, I agree. I agree. A Mandalorian would totally take a Predator out. Yeah, I think so. No question in my mind. I was going to argue that that the Mandalorian is uh, Predator 3. <laughs> the Mandalorian yeah. is Predator 3. Yeah, yeah. Predator 2 is it's Lethal a, Weapon it's a, 3. It's a crazy web we weave. <laughs> I would love to see <laughs> the Mandalorian sick. take out the Predator because the Predator is, yeah, I mean, just kind of, again, not di- digressing into like a whole, the Predator lore is terrible, but like the Predators are cool, but. They they have their there's some holes in the whole predator thing. They're hunters, you know. Man. Like, That's uh, like it's it so. couldn't be simpler, and it seems like these various creators have made it overly complex. They're technologically advanced hunters that we're terrified of because we thought we were at the top of the food chain, and the whole thing is hunter and hunted, and that's what I love about them. Anything beyond that is just unnecessary. Yeah, I prefer it. Like, well, anything beyond sure. that is also ruining the original lore. Sorry, Ben. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, when I when we, I'm sure you guys probably felt the same way. But when the first Predator movie came out, uh, I went to the theater to see it with my parents, and like I liked that I didn't know that much about the Predator. You know what I mean? It was just a movie creature, and it was a different spin on things, and it was really cool, and it was cool looking, and I really liked it. But then the more that I found out about it, the less interesting it was. Yeah, this movie didn't get funded until the comic books became a success, evidently, and this movie's plot is based on the comic. But same, same. Like, it doesn't really... The finer details aren't as relevant as what it sounds like the point that you're trying to make is, which is the simplicity of it was the beauty of it. And you you complicate it by giving away all of these various secrets and telling all... It's like, I don't fucking care. I want to see a one-on-one hunt, you know? It, it's it's the whole point. But to circle back to the, the end of the film, I love the rite of passage thing. I love that, that Danny Glover ends up taking the Predator out, and then the other Predators come in, and he's just like, who's next? Yeah. <laughs> but meanwhile, they're just like paying their respects like it, it you're just like he's fucked and then they like turn their cloaks on walk away and and the king shit hands him that old school uh flintlock pistol which is just fucking amazing and i loved the like token of respect 
nature of that gesture, you know, like it just it's such a great way to to tie that up in a bow with the respect to Danny Glover's character. Agree. And that was what made the end like the best thing about the movie was all that stuff. Yeah. So. All right. Should we move right along to the NDR? Nuggets, deaths, ratings. Yep. Sounds good to me. Start it up, Benny. Sure. So we were just talking about Raphael Adelini's pistol from 1715. And this was uh, another sort of Easter egg because there was apparently uh, that was that was a nod to what the next movie was supposed to be. What? They were going to go back in time and have, you know, the uh, Predator and pirates, basically. Wow, that is super cool. Did they? So who is Raphael Adelini? Do we know who that is? A badass pirate captain, yeah. Dude. It would have been so good. Yeah, basically the, 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 uh, the Predator is hunting them, and the, at some point they're, like, his crew is robbing, like, a, a church, and Raphael Adelini's like, no, you can't fucking do that. You know, like he's like a pirate with some scruples, apparently. And his crew is coming after him, and the predator actually like teams up with him, I guess, because the predator wants him for himself, and uh, and helps him take down the crew that are like you know mutinizing. So now, how do you know all that? Was that in a comic book or something? It was in a comic. Yeah, I I oh. just like I I had the thought to look it up, and uh, that's that's what came up. Like a whole article about it came up. Hmm. That is very cool, man. That would have been such an amazing movie. I know. And I, I really, man, I was so pissed about the lore of The Predator because there's some really cool ideas buried in all this stuff. And mm. I just feel like a bunch of nerds ruined it. <laughs> no, totally I do, good. man. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, without getting into like a whole thing, it's like this whole like clan thing and like the rite of passage and all of that. It's like, this is all very, it's a little primordial for a race that is so technologically advanced. You know, it's like, they they sort of, and and I guess this is one of my my major gripes that I said I wasn't going to talk about was like, if, if the hunting and the rite of passage and the xenomorphs, it's like when you read the lore, it makes it sound like that is the most important thing in predator society. And they actually have a name. It's called the uh, Yauta or something like that. And I think that's how you pronounce it, or the Yauta. And if, if that's the case, like who are – who are the members of society making all this technological stuff? Where are the scientists? Where where's all that? It just it doesn't it does not link up, man. And I also find that the predators, while cool, rely so much on their technology for their badassery that I, I really don't think they're that badass. Like you never see anything in the films, like in terms of like moves or skills that outside of their technology that makes them this super formidable opponent. That's why I think a Mandalorian would take out a predator in like three seconds. You know what I mean? Like a Mandalorian doesn't need no damn invisibility cloak. He got a real cloak. Yeah. So anyway, that's why I feel like it's, it's straight up sport hunting. Like, yeah. One of us in the woods with some sweet tech. Like, we're just a bunch of fucking dumbass humans. Like, y- you put a human with a bunch of high-tech shit in a in an African savanna hunting lions illegally. Like, a lion would fuck you up if you didn't have all your fancy bullshit. I feel like it's something similar, you know? And I, I kind of like that, 
idea in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm I'm very much aligned with what you're saying, though. Like, it's not that you're. It, what I'm hearing is not that you're saying that it's lame that the predators aren't super strong ninjas. It's just that, like, instead of keeping it simple, they came up with all this weird fucking lore that wasn't relevant to the topic at hand. You know, exactly. It doesn't fit anything, and it, and it makes the character himself like even lamer than he. Yeah like just lamer like it's not a lame character like ben said like at the beginning when you watch predator one you're just like this is great i don't need to know anymore and then when you see predator two you're like okay i got a little bit more lore here and i'm very happy with that i don't need any more you know and then it's like it just gets ruined because i would really dig i would totally dig seeing that pirate movie and then somewhere the mandalorian (laughs) (laughs) uh just to just to tack on a nugget there, which wasn't officially one of my nuggets, but there's evidently another comic that is um, Harrigan's story 25 years after this movie, and it takes place what? in Rio de Janeiro. And really, his sidekick in the comic is Adam Baldwin's character, and they end up um, in another Predator situation. So there's actually like a bit of additional stuff there. Whether it's good or not, I don't know. Hmm. That's, I like that the idea, the premise of that sounds pretty cool. Mm. The idea of a predator in a favela in Rio with a you know a sixty something year old uh, Harrigan is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Did you have any uh, nuglets, Kev? I had a couple. I'm only remembering one at the moment because I didn't write them all down. But um, the char- the guy that played Danny, uh, Ben probably knows this. Ruben Blades. Ruben Blades yeah. is a multiple Grammy award winning salsa musician. Like he is. No shit. Very well known in the Latin American world for his music, way more than his acting. He And I thought he was excellent in this movie. Like, I know he's only in it for about 15 minutes, but he's really great, you know? And certain actors you see, like, they can do a lot with very little, you know? And, and uh, he really did a great job, and I, I just thought that was cool, man. You know, it's like you, you kind of see him in this movie, very easy to write off, like, you know, another latin american character and i was stoked that they represented the latin american community in this movie maria conchito alonso and and ruben blaze but um i just thought that was cool and totally noteworthy too man it's like my god i didn't realize the guy was he's won like nine grammys been nominated for (laughs) many many more than that that's crazy i i did not know that very well respected too uh well if you can't remember any of yours i've got a couple go maybe it'll jog my memory i had a couple others so the predator blood Oh, damn it. That was one of mine. Yeah. Was that one? It's glow stick juice and KY jelly, which I thought was kind of interesting and funny. Yep. And (laughs) if I can just add on to that, they have not changed that formula since the first film. So every single Predator movie, that is what they used. They never changed it because they never needed to. I thought that was kind of neat. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's it. It's so cool. Exactamundo. Um evidently for the last scene with all of the predators they needed some tall actors and danny glover was buddies with a bunch of la lakers and invited them to come and put on the suits and so a variety of those people are la lakers which i thought was quite funny i read that too i thought that was cool and also um kevin peter hall who plays i guess this is another nugget kevin peter hall who plays the predator in the first two films he also played the the sort of the grandmaster predator the the elder at the end, who throws him the pistol? And Harry and from Harry and the Hendersons. And Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. Yep, I read that too. Nice. <laughs> My final nugget is at one point Patrick Swayze was approached to star in this movie, but was unable because he was injured during the filming of Roadhouse. Oh 
That's a Kev nugget. Dude. That is a good one for Kev. Damn, man. We got to start digging into some Swayze soon. Oh, we are. Don't you worry. I know that this is not really an, uh, a nugget per se. I guess it is. Arnold was supposed to be in this movie really kind of either as part of the Keys component or in the Keys role or in re- instead of Keys. Hmm. But there was a um, paycheck dispute, you know? They, they, hmm. There was a, a financial compensation dispute, so he, he backed out of the movie. So he was supposed to be in this. And certainly not as Danny Glover's character, nothing like that. I think that was going to stay the same. And then he either would have been sort of with keys or, you know, that that whole thing. I thought that was kind of neat and disappointing at the same time. Yeah. It's interesting you should say that because it jogged a memory of this movie is based on some comics. And the comics were Urban Jungle, Cop, same as same as the film. But the cop character is played by Dutch's brother. Ooh, I like that, man. So that was the original idea pre this screenplay being written was Dutch's brother is a cop in L.A. or I think whatever city and same, same all the way through. Um, I also have I, – I just remembered another small one. Um, they didn't have as much budget to work with on the first one even though it grossed way more money than this one. So in this one they had a bigger production budget. So Stan Winston was given a little bit more leeway to do – latitude to do what he wanted to do. So they were able to make the various different Predators look different. And the Predator in this one who is you know obviously not the same as the one in the first film, they made him sort of more urban looking like kind of a – urban feel to it that's why he kind of looked the way that he did with his armor and his various different weapons and stuff like that i thought that was kind of a cool little Mm. nugget that they took the time to put that kind of energy into it you know i dig that Hmm. we didn't really take the time to talk about winston at all but he's a legend man oh my god yeah i know we were too busy going down 25 cul-de-sacs about seagram's freaking jamaican me happy but whatever (laughs) which i was pretty happy about i was very happy about it it made me laugh a lot yeah one other thing that we didn't touch on that I just want to say out loud is the I fucking love the Predator franchise music, like the the drums and the like, all the shit that they brought over from the first movie into this. Like, I just love so much of that stuff. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we didn't talk about Alan Silvestri who did the the score. We didn't really talk about the score at all, and. Alan Silvestri has done, you know, he's one of those legends. He did all the Back to the Future movies, like you know, just tons and tons of Hollywood films. This one actually had a couple of little tinges of some kind of alien-sounding score in it. And I, I kind of dug that. Like, just little touches here and there. And I really dug that. I was like, hmm, that kind of reminds me of the Alien soundtrack, you know? So I dug that. And I agree with you, Chad. Like, I, I like the mix of, you know, just sort of classic Hollywood score music and then, like, the drum kind of stuff and all of that. It was really, really great. Agreed. A random late place to throw it in there, but I loved it. Yeah, sorry, I got to do one more of those because it's so noteworthy, man. Because it, it was such a thing back at that time period. Um, Morton Downey Jr., who is the long lost cousin of Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> was played Tony Pope, the reporter for Hardcore, you know? And I don't know if you guys remember, but Morton Downey Jr. was like, for a while there, he was just everywhere, not in terms of like, 
being in films, but he had a talk show and he was constantly chain smoking on the talk show. And he, he, he was just super abrasive, man. And like, he was, he, he got a lot of attention around that time. I don't know. Do you guys remember that or not? Yes. I don't remember that. And I, for whatever reason, as I mentioned in our Die Hard 2 episode, confuse the two uh, newsy dudes constantly. But I, I completely agree that he's a weird <laughs> fucking chain smoky. Jer- proto Jerry Springer dickhead in this movie. All right. Anyway, let's move on to deaths. It's making me think of Robert Downey Jr. playing Wayne Gale in Natural Born Killers. Oh, good man. call. Yeah. There you go. All right. So deaths. I got um, oh, Jarhigo. He stay. He managed to stay alive. No. No. Uh, no death by the predator. Nothing. I'm disappointed, Higgs. I had an ejection death. I know. I'm kind of disappointed too. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> You shouldn't be rewarded for staying alive in a show called In This Episode Everybody Dies. (laughs) (laughs) That was a death right there. And then I also had an ejection death. Yep. Uh, I can't remember what I was ejecting on. It doesn't matter. Uh, Chad, you had very straightforward Matrix and Star Wars deaths. I had a a twofer. Yeah, you nailed both of those, man. I had a twofer how what death. Exactly. (laughs) Two for how what? (laughs) I thought you'd like that. (laughs) <laughs> I was hoping you'd pick that up. Oh, shit. That's good. All right, so ratings. Ratings. Chad, you picked it. This is your pick, so you do. You go first. All right, I'll go first, yeah. Okay, this movie is My Big Trouble in Little China. Whoa. Ooh. I'm not going to argue that it's as good as Big Trouble in Little China from from your guys' perspectives, it's it's not the same kind of movie, but 12-year-old me loved the hell out of this movie, and it was exactly the kind of forbidden thing that the 12-year-olds want to see, you know? Like, I probably snuck this movie somehow on VHS, and my parents didn't know I watched it because of how horribly violent and sci-fi-ish and drawing-in-your-notebook weapon stupidity it is, but I loved the hell out of this when I was a kid. Um, doesn't mean it's going to get, like, an artificially super high rating, but it's still a really good flick that I really like. So, right. on the algorithm, a five is a good movie, a six is really good, and a seven is a great. And this is a high five. It's a 5.7. It's just above Goodfellas in the neighborhood of Terminator 1 and Alien 1, which for me, I prefer both Terminator 2 and Aliens, but it holds good company. Um, wow. I, I, I got to say, man, I really thought that based on what you were, you were kind of ramping up with, that this would be a solid seven. If this is yeah. like your big trouble. It just isn't, you know, um, in terms of the algorithm. I have a real soft spot for it, but I just, I don't think the soft spot should elevate it too much. Like, it's it's in good company, man. I mean, Goodfellas, Terminator 1, and Alien is some fucking sweet company for a movie like this. Like, the movie is not as good as those movies, so maybe that's where the nostalgia elevates it too, you know what I mean? Yes, um, and just for reference, Predator 1 on the algorithm has a 9.2, so they're fucking night and day. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that definitely puts it in perspective. Predator 1 is a legendary movie, and I have had conversations in the past where, like, it has been argued as the greatest action movie of all time. So, like, this is a great movie, I enjoy it, but it is not a Predator 1, you know what I mean? But I still, yeah, really, really dig it and, and really enjoyed watching it this week. That's pretty intense. Okay, I like it. Benny. All right, I really uh, enjoyed this one. I had a great time watching it. Uh, I'm glad it was sort of with fresh eyes, and 
you know, I liked the setting. I thought the cast was great. I loved seeing Danny Glover in the lead. Um, I thought he was awesome. Um, I'm giving this one <laughs> four out of five buckets of sweat. <laughs> anybody who's seen this movie will know that pretty much every character is either dewy or straight dripping with sweat through the entire film dripping just That's dripping awesome. man absolutely dripping i love that it was something we never even brought up i mean the amount of sweat you're right mm, i was kind of hoping it would come up because i i picked that one like the first on the first watch i was just like jesus christ like dude take off your suit jacket you're fucking <laughs> soaked like- I know. can somebody get this guy a shower so good i love it you know i i i'm I, I love it, and I'm really glad to see the algorithm is back working at 100% again. The improbability drive, yes. Sorry, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The um, improbability drive, because when it's not around, I, I definitely miss it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not always. There's not always the right kind of fuel, you know. So I'm finding you need. Uh... What is it? Do you need uh, seaplane fuel? Sea aviation fuel? Need uh, yes, type two. Type two <laughs> is amphibious fuel. Amphibious. <laughs> Oh, God. Only works on amphibious improbability drives. Mm, Fair enough. Kev, what do you got? I'm going to give this movie a seven. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I enjoyed it on the one hand as a a straight up over-the-top action movie. I think I'm also slightly fatigued on movies like that because maybe because we've done a lot of them. I don't know. I, I thought the end with the lore was kind of the the best part of it for me watching it this time. I dug it, even though there were some holes in that, you know, and the over the top opening was good, but there's just so much ridiculous dialogue in this movie. Um, things that I, I forgot to even mention, like, you know, the, the, the kid at the, at the cemetery, you know, like gets out of the car with his gun and he goes, take that you scum sucking dog. I was like, wow, that's a little intense for a little kid, you know? <laughs> I did love the want some candy, though. That has is, is got a special place in my heart. Yeah, you know, there were some other lines, too. Like, Harrigan says, keys in his butt, boys. I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, the computer voice was great, too. Describing Harrigan and what a lout he is, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Lieutenant Mike Harrigan. You know, some just ridiculous, donkulous dialogue in this movie. So, yeah, I give it a seven. You know, it's like the whole thing with the lore. I don't know. I'm slightly confused and about how I feel, but yeah, I'm sticking with a seven. Nice, a solid rating for a uh, for an interestingly weird movie. Yeah, it is. It's got a lot of interesting elements to it for sure. And the twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, is is way out of line. Way out of line. I think it's out of line too. Yeah, this should this should be up in the like the low good range. You know what I mean? Like like sixty sure. percent or whatever. Yeah, you know, or mid mid fifties or whatever. So at any rate, what do we what uh, what's coming up next? Algorithm. We or, sorry, or, orange sassy swirl. <laughs> orange sassy swirl. We. <laughs> We've decided to uh, to take on a legend that we've mentioned eons ago, a legend that wears Chuck Connors and not a hell of a lot else. Uh, we're going to be watching Zardoz next week. Oh, yes. Awesome. 
Well, there you have it, folks. So get excited for that. Zardoz next week, starring Sean Connery. Zardoz. 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 And, uh, and his uh, long-lost brother, Sargon, will be there. Sargon. That should be fun. <laughs> Sargon should be, jo- will be joining us here in the studio in Valverde for that episode. So anyway, uh, folks, thanks for tuning in for this, uh, uh, I don't know, whatever you call this mess of an episode. Throwback hilarity of an episode. Throwback hilarity. Exactly. And we will uh, see you next week for Zardoz. See you guys. Later. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. You can find the show notes for this episode in your podcast app choice or on our website ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 70 you can find us at uh, most social media locations folks at ebd podcast so please check us out there Uh, a lot of conversation going on on instagram so please feel free to jump in and join in in the conversation if you'd like to support the show there's a couple great ways to do it you can rate us and review us on itunes stitcher wherever Or you can tell a friend to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. You can find Chad at Chad Normal on Twitter. And you can find Ben at Jarkego on Twitter. You can also contact us using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can make requests there. You can also do that via email, contact at ebd.fm. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join us next week for Zardoz, and we will see you next time. Thanks again, folks. Is that bitch on the rag or what? This is what I call a speech, kid. It's the only one I got, and I only give it once. So pay attention. To now, it's all been fun and games. Cops and robbers. Dunkin' Golas. You're in the shit now. Dunkin' Golas. It's worth the trip. (laughs) (laughs) Put it in your mouth.